Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. It's uh, good to be back on here. Uh, I've been um, still, even now, very busy uh, getting our Cats Paws football preview out, but I appreciate you yesterday handling the interview with Brandon Jenkins. Uh, everybody go check that out if you haven't already, but I'm glad to be back on here with you and uh, looking forward to speaking to Cole Kublik. Yeah, Kentucky Daily is going mobile too, so I'm having to use a, a buddy of mine's <laughs> mic set up for the next few days just to get through the podcast because my mic won't be here till possibly even next week, Derek. So, uh, But at least we have good audio. We're going to be joined by Cole Kublik on this episode of Kentucky Daily. Cole has been a regular on this podcast. I think it'll be his third appearance if I'm not mistaken uh, one of the most well-informed members of the media that covers the SEC he covers the league better than a lot of guys there covers every single team he's on it, it feels like he's tweeting out a radio appearance every five minutes throughout the day yeah I think the guy's just talking ball all day long uh, whether it's his show or going on someone else's show we know he's a very busy guy so being able to fit 15 20 minutes in with us so we're very grateful and uh as always, I would expect Cole to have a lot of good insight to share yeah. on not only on Kentucky, but some of the opponents UK will play and some of the big topics too. You know, I plan to ask him about Texas and Oklahoma joining the league. I think he'll have a pretty good perspective on that. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to ask him about Kentucky, Missouri too, that, that big week two matchup between those two teams, Derek, because I feel like we've talked about it a lot on this show. Whoever wins that game could really set themselves up for a great season. Whoever loses it doesn't necessarily going to have a bad season, but it certainly puts them behind the eight ball when it comes to that pecking order in the Eastern Division. So when I ask Cole about that, I'm going to ask him about the offensive line. I'm sure quarterback play, all of it will be mentioned as we go throughout. But not going to waste your time anymore. Let's jump right into that interview with Cole Kublik of the SEC Network. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Cole, uh, moving right towards the college football season. I know you're excited about that, as uh, as we all are. But Kentucky uh, has a lot of a lot of things coming back, and you put on number two in the SEC East in the preseason media poll. That's the exact same spot that I put them. What led to you feeling confident to put them at that spot? Uh, I think a lot of what you mentioned that's returning. Um, it starts up front with that offensive line. Uh, Darren Kennard, I think, best tackle in, in the SEC. Austin Dotson's played a lot of football. You know, we, we, we've sort of seen what he's capable of. And even some of the guys that aren't necessarily returning starters on that Kentucky offensive line, inside that Kentucky offensive line room, I, I think that we've seen a little bit enough to know what they're capable of. Um, like a Kenneth Horsey, you know, kind of seeing him work a little bit. We've seen Fortner work some. So we, we have an idea of just what, else is available in that room and I think also the the mentality the attitude of that room you know the standard's been set there that's not just going to go away um and obviously with the unfortunate loss of John Slarman you you, you want to maintain what he started and that they've got to mean a lot to those guys Christopher Rodriguez Cavassier Smoke uh, one of the best one two punches out of the backfield in college football um the question for Kentucky for a while has been you know, can you find a way to get more explosive and can you find receivers that can make things happen down the field I think now they may have that with a Wondell Robinson that they'll be able to move around be able to do some different things with a guy that can line up different places you know he's a kid he carried the ball 16 times against Penn State last year so it doesn't just have to be out of the backfield or it doesn't just have to be lined up at wide receiver it can be out of the backfield it can be via motions be a lot of different things so 
I think you bring in some receiver prowess via the transfer portal with a Josh Ali veteran presence back. You got a chance to be a lot better there. You combine that with Liam Cohen and the system that he ran and that he's coming off of there with the Rams and potentially a quarterback that's going to be able to help you push the ball further down the field. So um, I like a lot of what what's returning and some of what has been added. And then it's sort of the same story really on defense. I mean, Pascal, McCall, Wright, Square. We see what those guys can do. Um, you know, I think J.J. Weaver's got a chance to break out. Jordan Wright's got a chance to really break out this year and be, you know, the kind of defensive players that we've seen take big steps in that Kentucky group in the last few years. I'm not saying play their way into first-round picks, but just take a big jump as far as their perception. And, and they're, uh, the thing that I like about Brad White's defense, they're a heavy-handed group. Like it's it's going to be a fight when you play that group, and they're not super athletic. Not going to pretend like they're you know they're they're the most dynamic group in the SEC, but they're going to play a different style of ball, and and I think that that's that's problematic. I think it causes problems for a lot of teams. Cole, you've probably covered more UK football games as a sideline reporter in the SEC Network era than uh, maybe anybody, but. Uh, I'm working on a story now because it's a pretty big storyline here locally. But Mark Stoops, uh, come September 11th, when Kentucky plays Missouri, he'll he'll become the all-time leader in games coached at UK. When you kind of stack him up over his nine years at UK, and I know you've been around the SEC for a long time, kind of how do you how do you kind of rate his his rebuild job at Kentucky compared to some other uh, rebuilds over the years? Uh, I think it's exceptional. Um, that when you think about just you know, kind of, kind of what he's capable of, what what he's going to do, and and what he's already done, and and I think a lot of the credit should go to the administration as well, because you guys probably remember, like I do, after I think year two, year three, maybe even after year four, you know, there are a lot of people that were wondering if he could get it done, and should he be the guy, and some of those whispers began to sort of creep up, um, but you know, I I, I think that what he's done changing the culture, the attitude, um, what he's changed of the expectation of Kentucky football has just been, it's been remarkable. And, you know, now I I think one of the things that he has been exceptional with is morphing. And, you know, this, this step from Eddie Grant's offense to Liam Cohen's offense, I think is, is one of those. I think, you know, he had a couple of offensive coordinator situations early in his career that he wanted to try to make a move and it didn't look like it was going to work out. So he immediately made another change to try to get it where it needed to be. You look at the recruiting footprint going north, where I think you have to be successful in recruiting. Ultimately, if you're going to win at Kentucky, you can't just rely on the Southeastern Conference's footprint because of who you're going to be going up against every year. He's been able to do that. And then now look at how they've managed the transfer portal. So you know, he's, he's done a good job becoming different when he's needed to be, and I think it's allowed him to stay successful and be more successful than a lot of people thought he was going to be. Again, give the administration credit. They, they gave him time, and then they, they backed it up with the commitment, with the facilities, what they did to Kroger Field, and obviously what they're paying assistance. But it's been remarkable what, what Coach Stoops has been able to do there in Lexington. Cole, you mentioned that offensive line earlier and all the pieces that they have. Well, they added Dare Rosenthal from LSU earlier this summer. What did you think about the addition of that piece to that group? I think it's a decent add. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that 
that obviously gives you someone who's got some experience that that's played a little bit and someone that that knows the SEC speed, knows the physicality, knows how to handle himself, and you know has a chance to step in and be a starter. Now, does he have the ability? Yeah, sure, but I, I don't feel like he's a proven commodity as far as what he's done in a uniform. He's got a long way to go with his feet, with his hands, with his pass sets. He's a bit of a backbender at times. Um, you know, he looks like he gets fatigued pretty early, and that's kind of in, in spot start duty. So I, I, don't, I don't view him on the level of a Darren Kennard or an Evan Neal or a Kenyon Green. Uh, so I, I think he's somebody who definitely adds depth and, and may be able to step in and start and help. Anytime you get bigger bodies in, in that room or your defensive line room that have played, I think that's a plus because we know those guys are going to go down at some point in time over the season. So it was a nice ad. Was it one that really changed my opinion on how I feel about Kentucky's offensive line? No, not really because you know, I, I felt pretty good about them uh, from the get-go. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Cole, obviously, I'm sure you spent a lot of time talking about Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, set to join the SEC. Uh, for you, uh, Obviously, realignments are going to start back again, and maybe with the dollar figures that are in college football now, it was maybe inevitable that this was going to happen. But I guess as as the SEC looks different moving forward, I guess just how do you feel about that overall? I think I think it's exciting. Part of it is really exciting to think about the fact that any SEC team is going to be able to play regular season games against Texas or Oklahoma that you know the Red River rivalry is going to be an SEC it's going to be an SEC conference game. I mean that's just it's wild to think about. But you start thinking about um, whoever your favorite team is, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Kentucky, Alabama, Auburn, being able to play regular season games against Texas and Oklahoma, it's incredible. Um and, and I think it goes even further to stating that this is the best football conference in America and most likely will be for a long time. Um now if you wanted to make an assumption about where this means we may be heading in college football. I'm not sure I love all of that. Um, I, you know, I, I said I was walking out of the Rose Bowl January 2014 with a former teammate of mine. And I looked at him and I said, you know, college football will never be the same. We just witnessed the end and where we're headed, we're never going back. And that was the beginning of the playoff era. Obviously the last BCS national championship game that Auburn lost to Florida state. And I have stated since then that it's only a matter of time before the Power Five are going to pull away because whatever the revenue wheel is, we use a round number, we'll say a billion dollars. You know, 10, 15, 20, 18%, 25%, whatever it is, is going away from those teams. There's going to come a point in time where 
some people have always looked at that as, well, it's only 10%, it's only 15%, it's only 20%. And 20% of $1.5 or $2 billion is a lot of money. And they're going to look at it as, why are we giving that amount of money away to teams that don't impact our national championship every year? And they're going to walk. And they're going to have their own thing, and they're going to do it their own way. And we've taken a big step towards that. And I think a lot of people are more confident now that we will move to that at some point in time. You know, Mark Rick said it best when he was still coaching at Georgia. There's enough money to go around to be able to help the sustainability for some of these other teams. Um, you know, you guys have seen it there in, in Lexington, whether it's been Toledo or Eastern Michigan or Central Michigan or Eastern Kentucky or Southern Miss. You know, those teams come play those games. That's pretty much their budget for the year. That puts lights on their practice fields. That builds them a new weight room. You know, those, those programs have to have that. So I'm not necessarily sure I love that part of it. Do I like better matchups? Do I like more intriguing matchups across the course of a single season? Yeah, absolutely I do. But I also think that there's a potential scary road that we could be heading down that may not end up being better for the greater good of college football. But we don't know how that's going to play out. And the, and the confusing part about it is, guys, we don't know – we don't know when that's going to be completed as far as playing itself out. It could be 2035, it could be 2040, it could be 2025. We have no idea when that's going to be. Cole, last thing I have for you here. I know every game in the SEC matters, but that week two matchup between Kentucky and Missouri, it, it could really propel either one of those teams. What are you looking forward to about that one? It's a massive game. I want to see what Missouri has done to replace Dick Bolton. I uh, want to see if the, the, that defensive front can be enough to handle that Kentucky offensive line and the stretch play that they're going to sort of build things around now. Um, and then the Kentucky secondary will be tested. Connor Baselick's got this, all the ability to be a big-time SEC quarterback. He really does. He's got a big, strong arm, competitor. He's tough. And this is a system that's going to be able to help him find some things. Mookie Cooper transfers in from Ohio State. I think he's a guy – they could potentially come in and be very dangerous. Somebody they'll, they'll move around, they'll do some different things with. Um, and then Tyler Beatty at tailbacks has sort of been waiting his turn. It feels like Larry Roundtree has been there for 100 years and, you know, just getting 200, 250 carries a season. You know, Beatty's a guy that's sort of been waiting to be the guy, and I think he's very capable at running back. I just don't know if they have enough outside. Toski Dove could be somewhat a bigger physical target on the outside that could potentially help them down the field. But – they should be much more comfortable year two under Eli's system. And defensively, just want to see what they're going to be able to plug in. Because Devin Nicholson played some good ball last year. Kobe Whiteside's been playing nose guard for them for what feels like eight or nine years now. A few of the pieces are there. I don't know if they have as many pieces as a team like Kentucky does, but I agree with you. I mean, that's one where things could go either direction. I mean, Missouri would still be at Boston College two weeks later. And, you know, that, that's one that you could look at. Okay, if things aren't going your way, could you trip up there? And then A&M a couple of weeks after that, Tennessee, you know, the next game. Same thing with Kentucky. Like, you, you win that game, you got a chance to go ahead and put some wins together. Um, Kentucky would have Chattanooga and then at South Carolina. Obviously, then when they get to October, I said if Kentucky can split October, they could put a hell of a season together. But you got Florida, LSU, Georgia, Mississippi State in the month of October. It's just brutal. The last two on the road. Uh, you split that, you're in good shape. Kind of same thing with Missouri. If they were to find a way to get Kentucky, well, you could get Southeast Missouri State, you get Boston College, Tennessee, North Texas, then you got A&M. Even if you drop that, I mean, you look at how they closed. Vanderbilt, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Arkansas. I mean, they could easily get two of those four. Now, you all of a sudden, you're looking at eight or nine wins. 
if you're Eli Drinkwitz in your second year at Missouri. So I do think that's sort of one of those fork-in-the-road games for both, for both of these programs. The winner has a chance to put together something really special. I agree 100%. Great stuff from you, Cole. You can follow him on Twitter at Cole Kublik. Cole, thanks for joining us. I appreciate the time, guys. It's always good catching up with you and talking Kentucky football.